Our Heavenly Father, your word is cast like the sower sowing seed, and we pray now that as we receive it, your, you would make our hearts to be like that good soil in which your word sinks deep and springs up and bears good fruit, 30, 60, or even a hundredfold. And so, Father, do a good work in our hearts and cause that good fruit to um, be born in our lives. All to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll please open your Bibles now to our sermon text, Daniel chapter 6. You'll find this in your pew Bibles on page 743, Daniel chapter 6. So here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. 
Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This evening we come to the final court narrative here in Daniel chapter 6. Chapters 7 through 12 will be mostly composed of prophetic visions, except for Daniel's chapter, Daniel's prayer in chapter 9. This chapter has a lot in common with chapter 3. You'll recall the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's golden image and being thrown into the burning, fiery furnace for their civil disobedience. Now, these two chapters may be the most well-known in Daniel, and they're ones you are probably familiar with going back to your days in children's Sunday school. In both cases, the Jews are punished for their faithfulness to the Lord with what ought to have been a death sentence. They are miraculously delivered by the Lord. For Daniel's friends, it was for what they refused to do, worship an idol. And for Daniel, it was for what he continued to do, to pray to the Lord even when it was outlawed. In both cases, we see that God is glorified in saving his servants. And this is recognized even by pagan kings, first King Nebuchadnezzar and then by King Darius. These are both examples of civil disobedience, the topic we reflected on this morning. I will continue to reflect a bit on that topic of civil disobedience tonight, but 
will also reflect more deeply on what we can learn from Daniel's faithfulness in prayer and also on the Lord's salvation. So we'll work our way through the narrative section by section and then we'll conclude tonight with a few points of application. So we begin tonight with a scheme to entrap Daniel in the first nine verses. The first three verses detail the reorganization of the kingdom following Persia's major conquest of the Babylonian Empire. The kingdom is organized into 120 provinces, which are called satrapies, and there are three high officials under the king, one of which is Daniel. Although Daniel is about about 80 years old, he is so excellent in his work of administration that Darius plans to set him over the whole kingdom directly under the king himself. Of course, we know the secret to his success, the reason for his excellent spirit, verse 3, is that the spirit of God is empowering him, giving him wisdom and strength, even at his advanced age. Now, we're not told exactly why the other officials wanted to undermine Daniel. There was nothing in him that was wrong, although it's probably safe to assume that jealousy played a major role. His status as a foreign exile, originally from Judea, was probably also a major factor. The fact that he had served in Babylon would probably not have counted against him, as we know that Persia left many Babylonian officials in their posts. So whatever their reasons, they could not find any charge against him based on his work, which was without fault. The only weakness they could find to exploit was the strength of his commitment to the Lord. They knew that if they pitted the command of the king against the law of his God, Daniel's God would win every time. Could that be said of you? The high officials and the satraps proposed a law to King Darius in which he would outlaw prayer to anyone but himself for a span of 30 days, and any violators would be cast into the lion's den. This Persian empire was a pagan empire. People were worshiping a variety of gods and goddesses, and they usually tolerated worshiping of foreign gods among their conquered peoples. So this law, it was extremely heavy-handed even for them. Unlike in other kingdoms like Egypt and Rome, the Persians did not believe that their kings were actually deities. But by requiring that prayer be made to the king alone, This does, in a sense, set up Darius as a sort of mediator to the gods, making their prayer to the gods through Darius, almost like an angel or a demigod. Of course, they knew, he knew, that he could not hear their prayers. But the real purpose of the officials, as we know, is not to exalt Darius, but to target Daniel. Now, perhaps Darius thought that his officials were honoring him, But really, he was being manipulated into losing his favorite and his most highly skilled servant. It's worth taking a moment to reflect here on how truly evil this decree was. Now, all false religion, all idolatry is wicked. It is an affront affront to our holy God. Even when it is sincerely believed in practice, that does not make it any less a sin. But how much worse is it when these officials mislead others into false religion for their own selfish reasons? In the end, King Darius is swayed by his officials. 
He signs the decree into law, and once it is signed, as we are told over and over again, it cannot be revoked even by the king. So we move to verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. As a high official, Daniel was not ignorant of what was going on in the court. And yet we see here he goes on praying in the same manner he had done before the law was signed. The law was signed, and for Daniel, this changed nothing. In this section, I'd like to consider two topics. First, what can we learn from Daniel about prayer? And second, why did Daniel not hide, but prayed in such a way that he could easily be discovered? Now first, regular prayer is required by the Lord. While we're not commanded exactly how often to pray, we see that Daniel had adopted a practice of praying three times a day, presumably in the morning, at noon, and in the evening. Although the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed, it was still considered a place of God's holy presence on earth. And so Daniel opens his windows and he directs his prayer, his prayers toward Jerusalem. You also see that Daniel kneels in prayer. It was more common in Israel to stand for prayer, but as Israel had been humbled in the exile, it was particularly appropriate that Daniel adopt this posture of humility as he sought the Lord in prayer. Now, there's no requirement in Scripture to pray toward Jerusalem, just as there is no requirement to kneel or to pray a certain number of times a day, but all of these were aids to Daniel in his prayer, aids to prayer. They helped him to humble himself before the Lord and to beseech the Almighty for aid. We're also given three clues to the content of his prayers. In verse 10, he prayed and gave thanks before his God. Even in this situation, he gave thanks. And in verse 11, they found him making his petition and pleas. So presumably, his prayers contained a mixture of both thanksgiving and petitions. We also have an example of his prayer in Daniel chapter 9, a prayer of confession made this very same year, the first year of King Darius. I'll save a close reading of chapter 9 for when we get there, but the fact that it includes both adoration and confession of sins indicates that those were common elements of Daniel's prayers at this time as well. Now, all these things are examples that can help us as we seek to grow in our prayer lives. We too are commanded to be faithful in prayer. And while there isn't one right way to pray, we should take advantage of aids to prayer, like a regular schedule, a regular location, a regular posture for prayer, and all the elements of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and petition, just like Daniel did. Now let's consider why Daniel did not hide his continued prayer. I mentioned in my sermon this morning that there are many who live in Islamic countries who worship in secret because they know that if they are discovered, they will surely be killed. Why did Daniel make a different decision? He wasn't exactly praying publicly, but his window was open and I'm sure he knew he was being targeted and that the other officials would soon come to arrest him. He could have hidden in his closet to pray, but he has confidence in the Lord to protect him. 
Now, perhaps it's partly the fact that he's now about 80 years old. He doesn't feel like he has much left to lose in life. And I think it's, he probably felt a duty to the larger community of exiles, of Israelites in exile, to set an example. If he, in this position of authority, did not stand fast and remain faithful, who else would stand in the gap? Even as Daniel served the king faithfully, he demonstrated that his ultimate allegiance is to the Lord. And so he knowingly commits this act of civil disobedience by continuing his regular practice of prayer. So we read verse 11. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Surprise, surprise, they caught him red-handed committing the terrible crime of prayer to someone other than the king. In part three, we see the king is powerless to save, verses 12 through 15. The officials bring the news of Daniel's arrest to the king, putting it this way in verse 13. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Although Darius was deeply grieved to find out that Daniel had been snared in the net of his own decree, and though he labors the rest of the day to find some way out, he could find no way to save Daniel. And the text repeats multiple times that the law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be changed once it is established. This fact which is also confirmed in the book of Esther and in extra-biblical sources. And so the officials remind the king, the law cannot be changed, and so it is settled. There's nothing left to do but to throw Daniel in the lion's den and seal him up for the night. And so there's a great irony here. The very law that elevated Darius to the level of a demigod now makes a fool of him and binds him to the point that he is powerless to save his most faithful servant, Daniel. Verse 16, And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And here we're reminded of the scene just before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast into the fiery furnace. Now at that time, Nebuchadnezzar taunted them by saying, And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? They responded to him in faith, saying, Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And notice the contrast. Rather than taunting like Nebuchadnezzar, Darius is kinder, even hopeful, saying to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Verse 17, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. The seal on the stone not only keeps Daniel in the lion's pit for the night, but it also prevents any of the schemers from coming in and killing Daniel in any other way. And we have verse 18. The king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, 
and sleep fled from him. The fact that the kid spent the night fasting may imply that he was also praying. It's not stated explicitly, but the two often go together in Scripture. He also denied himself of his usual diversions. This may have included music, dancing, a court gesture, perfume, or even concubines. Because of his fear for Daniel's life, he was unable to sleep through the night. And so as soon as daybreak comes, the king hurries to the lion's den. He cries out in anguish to Daniel to see if he still lives. He says, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? This cry is insightful. He calls Daniel's God the living God. And even the fact that he has come indicates that he harbors hope that Daniel has been preserved through the night. Even before he knows what has happened, there seems to be this bud of faith in this pagan king's heart. Verse 21, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. Here we see the salvation of our great God. And Daniel attributes his salvation to God alone. And he gives a few reasons for it. Because he was blameless before God, but also because he had done no harm to the king either. In other words, he was justified in disobeying the king's unrighteous decree. It would have been harmful for him to have obeyed it. And the third reason we're given is because he had trusted God. It always comes back to this in the Bible, does it not? Salvation is through faith, through faith alone, through trusting in the Lord. In this case, of course, we're talking about a physical deliverance of Daniel through the lion's den, but we also know that our eternal salvation, eternal life, salvation from our sins, also comes through faith alone in Christ alone. The king rejoices to see that Daniel is alive, and as he is lifted out of the den, it's discovered that he is not only alive, but completely unharmed. In verse 24, the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Here we see clearly that the lions had been restrained by God's hand. And the others are thrown in. They do what lions normally do. All it was fitting for Darius to bring on the head of Daniel's accusers the punishment that they sought for him. The fact that he also executes their wives and children shows the brutal nature of pure Persian justice. In the end, Daniel is vindicated and all who opposed him find their end at the bottom of the lion's den. But this is not the end of the story. Next we have the king's proclamation. Verse 25, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. 
Darius' declaration reminds us of the similar proclamation of King Nebuchadnezzar. On Nebuchadnezzar's proclamation in Daniel 3, called only for the God of Israel to not be spoken against, this proclamation goes much further. Darius calls the people of all nations and languages in all his dominion to fear, to tremble before the God of Daniel. And then what follows is a hymnic poem singing the praises of the Lord, the God who saves. For he is, and hear it again, the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And these lines speaking of God's everlasting dominion remind us of Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the golden statue in which the kingdoms of man are destroyed. The kingdom of God fills the whole earth and lasts forever. And verse 27 speaks of Daniel's rescue But it generalizes from there to speak of the God who delivers and rescues in wondrous ways. And this reference to signs and wonders in heaven and on earth reminds us of the way the Lord had delivered Israel out of Egypt about a thousand years before this time. And the last verse of this chapter, it's probably best translated. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, even the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This identifies King Darius the Mede with King Cyrus the Persian, making Darius the Median throne name of Cyrus, who is well known to history. You saw this was confirmed in chapter 5 when it said that King Darius was 62 years old when he conquered Babylon, which lines up perfectly with our our historical knowledge of Cyrus the Persian. So let's now consider a few points of application. We already covered the topic of civil disobedience in detail this morning, so I won't dwell on that topic tonight. But let's first consider Daniel's faithfulness in prayer. We all know that we are commanded to pray, and we know that prayer is a great privilege. Why do we struggle so much to pray? It would have been so easy for Daniel to stop praying just for 30 days. Or perhaps he could have hidden away to pray in, a se- in secret to avoid getting caught. Or maybe not. For a man who likely had a pattern of prayer established for decades, perhaps the idea of changing his regular habit based on some newfangled law that would come and go in the space of 30 days never even crossed his mind. You know how stubborn 80-year-olds can be. But really, I don't think it was so much about his age or about well-worn habits. The first key was his heart of faithfulness to the Lord. The other key was that he feared the Lord far more than he feared men. When he had the Lord, when he had this intimate relationship with the Lord through prayer, what could mortal men take from him? In the Psalms, we have a record of the prayer lives of the Old Testament saints and the way they pour out their hearts to the Lord continues to teach us how to pray even to this day. And then think of how prayer has been transformed and heightened in the New Testament. When Christ died on the cross, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, welcoming us into the Holy of Holies, 
the very presence of God. And Jesus Christ is now our great high priest who is always interceding for us. Moreover, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, making us God's holy temple. And he too is interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Of course, the fact that Christ is interceding for us and the Spirit is interceding for us does not mean that they're doing all the work and we don't have to pray, but their prayers are an invitation for us to join them, to join with them in the good work of prayer, to make this duty to become our delight. Having been united to Christ by faith, we now commune with the triune God through prayer, union, and communion. And though, as I said earlier, there is no required schedule for prayer, the New, exhortation, the, the, the New Testament exhortations to prayer and continual prayer are stronger than ever. First Thessalonians five sixteen through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for, in Christ Jesus for you. And similarly, Ephesians six eighteen. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. We have greater privileges in prayer than ever. And so let this lead you to a greater intimacy and a greater delight in prayer. And most of all, to greater faithfulness in prayer. Second point of application Salvation belongs to the Lord. We saw how the Lord delivered Daniel because he was trusting in the Lord, the one true living God. Daniel didn't make his decision to disobey the king with any sort of guarantee of physical deliverance. And as you know, there have also been many martyrs in the history of the church. God works for his glory sometimes in one way, saving one, sometimes in another letting another be martyred, also for God's glory. He could have rescued Daniel before the lion's den, but this time he rescued Daniel by letting him pass through the lion's den. As the psalmist writes, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. Psalm 37, 9. In the book of Revelation, the chorus is sung several times with slight variations each time. Salvation belongs to our God who, sings, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Revelation 7.10 God saves for his own glory. And as we've seen, he saves those who put their trust in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Daniel, along with his friends, both of them are, or all of them are, remembered in the great hall of fame of faith in Hebrews 11.33 who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire. As we consider this topic of salvation through faith in Christ, we notice that there are a number of parallels between the story of Daniel and the final days of our Savior. Just like in the case of Daniel, many powerful people felt threatened by Jesus And they sought for a way to hand him over to the authorities to be executed. They could find nothing solid against him, so they needed to devise a conspiracy to betray him. Just like Daniel, they came to arrest Jesus at his place of prayer. 
Just like Daniel, the death sentence was ultimately decreed by a reluctant judge at the urging of those who conspired against him. And just as Daniel was sealed in a lion's pit, Christ was also sealed in the tomb. Just as Daniel was rescued by the power of God, so Christ was raised from the dead by the power of God. The king found Daniel miraculously alive the next morning at daybreak. For Christ, it was the morning of Resurrection Sunday when the women came and found the tomb open. And the angel said to, him, said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. He has risen indeed. And he now reigns above until he returns to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. He is a mighty Savior who will deliver all who trust in him. Daniel's story is in many ways a foreshadowing of the far greater story of our mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. For Daniel was saved by the Lord from the lions, but Jesus Christ is the Savior. He was Daniel's Savior, and he will save you from your sins only if you trust in him. Trust in him today. Shall we pray? Our great God, we give you thanks this evening that you are the Almighty One, the mighty Savior, and that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to give his life for us on the cross. We thank you for this story of Daniel, a great hero of the faith who put his trust in you. We thank you for the example of his faithfulness in prayer for so many years, and even when under the threat of death, continued to be faithful. Lord, we pray that you would give us the faithfulness like Daniel, the faithfulness like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow us in intimacy with you. Through prayer, we pray. Give us a, a, a delight in prayer as we commune with you. And may you work mighty things through our intercession. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.